Welcome to another episode of Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and crime. I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And I'm Sloan, your crime tender for today. So grab a cocktail and buckle up for the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot! Beep beep! I'm Trish, your bartender for today. And for today, I'm doing the Terramana tequila. It is made by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Big fans. Big fans. Of The Rock and the tequila. (laughs) (laughs) We have recorded this after we originally did the case that this is coinciding with. Right. And The Rock comes up at one point in my case, so we... It it just worked out. It was like brainwaves without really being brainwaves. Originally, we wanted to put off talking about Terramana. It just kind of worked out that this week was the best week to do it. Yes. So. We like the Blanco one. We haven't tried the other ones, but it, like for all of our tequilas, we usually prefer our silvers. But, I mean, we're not tequila snobs by any, by any, any means. means put tequila in front of us we'll we'll either drink it straight or we'll find some way to make it to where we'll we'll drink it and enjoy it (laughs) Um, but with this tequila we find it to be very smooth very like it doesn't have that tequila burn that some of these other ones do we highly suggest it without a mixer just yes we literally we've never tried it mixed we always shoot it straight we Usually do it room temp, but we have tried it chilled also. Goes down smooth either way. We're not pushing you to buy this tequila, but we highly suggest it. Dwayne, if you ever hear this, uh, sponsor us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, it's, it's really not that expensive either. It, for it being such a good tequila, it's really kind of inexpensive. It's like a mid-shelf price line. So. Yes. So, 12 out of 10, highly recommend. And, yeah, I guess grab you a shot and uh, enjoy the episode. (laughs) Because it is a heavy one, but... You're going to need that shot. (laughs) Enjoy! Today we are talking about the murders of Krista and Zach Stone. I... Most of our episodes, trigger warning, blanket warning, but this one does involve a kid... So if that is not your cup of tea, we completely understand. Skip on to the next one. If this is your cup of tea, grab your tea, grab your liquor, whatever you need. Let's get started. So Krista Stone or Krista Kowalski. That makes me think of White Mike Wazowski. I was going to say Mike Wazowski. But Krista Kowalski was born November 17th in 1980 in William Mantic, Connecticut. She grew up in a larger family. Uh, former classmate Leigh Wren remembered her as being very motherly of her siblings, so I assume she was the oldest, but I couldn't confirm that anywhere. She had three brothers and two sisters. Uh, she graduated from Northside Methodist Academy in Dothan, Alabama in 1998. <laughs> I was like, Dothan? Dothan. Dothan. <laughs> we know about Dothan. 
Dothan is about two and a half hours from here. Three. Something like that. It's And we are in Mobile, Alabama. Trisha and I are. So she graduated in 1998. Her family had actually moved to Dothan in 97, her senior year of high school. So like it kind of sounded like to me, to me like the end of junior year. She was yeah. there for the summer, but she was there for her whole senior year. And she would meet Stephen Mark Stone at a church event, but also they attended the same high school. He was one year older than her. So they kind of like caught each other in passing as far as school went. Despite being at this small private school for her senior year, the student body voted her as prom queen, or at least their version of it. And I feel like that really kind of says a lot about the type of person that she was because small clicky private schools especially small town south alabama you usually have to basically be there a long time i mean these people grew up with each other from yes. kindergarten up if not before that from like the wombs up or their families have known each other for a while so while we tend to make big eye rolls at statements like she was one of those people that would light up the room she seems like actually one. krista was actually one of those people it would seem um so I do honestly believe those statements about her. Uh, she graduated in 98 and married Stephen Mark in 1999 when she was 19 and he was 20. They moved to Morgantown, West Virginia for a little bit before relocating back to the South in Huntsville, Alabama. Some people will argue with me about West Virginia being a part of the South. I'm talking about the Deep South. <laughs> the Deep South. Morgantown is also not very, like, it very much feels like a northern city <laughs> my brother lived there for a minute and i yeah it's it's a mountain city for it's sure a, it's a college town oh yeah my mother-in-law and stepfather-in-law lived there um and he was a professor at the college there for forever so beautiful 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 town but even my mother-in-law will tell you that is not the south yes <laughs> so continuing on from that argument uh, they had three children together, Zachary, Kenna, and Emily. Um, there was two and a half years between Kenna and Emily and about three and a half years between Kenna and Zachary. Krista was the assistant director of admissions as the, at the Crestwood Medical Center. She was also an accomplished pianist, but most of all, she loved being a mom. On the outside, they appear to be the typical middle-class couple raising a family, but to those close to, to the family or even readers of Krista's blog, it was evident that there were troubles in her marriage. So Krista was kind of like at the beginning of this whole social media front. Right. She had two or three different blogs. One was devoted to her family life. One was devoted to like her writings. And she was just one of those people. But the blog was also kind of an outlet. Uh, she would write on there about how lonely she felt in her life because her and her husband were working opposite shifts. And I'm about to read quotes from the blog, so it'll go into more detail about that. Um, so the first quote is, she said, when I'm at work, my time belongs to work. After all, they are paying me for my time. But when I'm home, my time belongs to my beloved children. I get to see my best friend once a day at kid swap time. And then if we're lucky, we have Saturdays and Sundays to spend together. Some days it just feels like it's too much to handle. I have to quiet my soul, remember who I am and whose I am, and that at one time I really did have it all. That even if only for those blessed two years, I did get to stay at home with my children and really give my life to making a home. 
So it's also important to note that in that whose was capitalized, she was a very religious woman. She took pride in her religion. She had like a whole post about Lent coming up. That was the last post that she was able to write. And then another post she wrote, it's hard to get up at 445, work till 245, grab the kids, give my husband a quick kiss, and then be mommy until they go to bed. And then I get myself to bed around 830, only to start it all over again the next day. So she was very frustrated with her life, but she was also very happy with her life. Yes. She wanted... Also, it sounds like she really wanted to be like that stay-at-home mom. She definitely wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, don't get me wrong. She does seem like she truly loves her job and it would be something she would return to. But while her kids are young and growing she up... She wanted to be there. She wanted to be there so she could put all of her energy into them and her marriage at the same time. From Mark's side, there was evidence pre presented at trial of pornography addiction and abuse of sorts. It was not really clear from the statements released to the public what sort of abuse, who the abuse was towards. If I had to take any guess, I would assume emotional and neglect. Yes. Um, and it was very apparent that he was depressed and unhappy with his life. Tim Gann, the chief trial attorney for the Madison County District Attorney's Office, was quoted as saying, There was a certain level of frustration building and dissatisfaction. Crystal was the leader of the family and outshined Mark in every way. And that was stated in his opening statement to the court oh, in front of Mark. Okay. So clearly, Gann came out swing swinging in his arguments. Like, he was ready to take this man down. Um... So, on Sunday, February 22nd, 2013, Mark and Krista made plans for his parents to come visit. The next morning, I'm sorry, February 22nd was Friday. So, Friday, February 22nd, they made plans for his parents to come and visit the next day. The next day on the 23rd, between 5.30 and 6 a.m., Mark got up, wrote a note for Krista saying he was going for a drive, and then he left. He didn't oh, even take... He didn't even take his cell phone with him. He took his wallet and his keys and he left knowing that his parents were showing up in any, in just a few hours. I'm sorry, but if you leave me with, <laughs> with the kids, no way to contact you and like the in-laws are coming. Yes. And don't get me wrong. I love my in-laws. Love, love, love my in-laws, but that's not my family. I hardly like spending time with my own family. <laughs> Don't. No, sir. You you made these plans. If you didn't want to be here, you should have said, hey, can we do this another weekend? I just can't do this tomorrow. But for you to just drive off and leave your cell phone behind. Uh -huh. We got some issues, buddy. <laughs> we got a lot of issues. So Mark's parents arrived to the house as planned to find Krista and their grandchildren there. But no Mark. They hung out with them for the day. They went out. They went to like the zoo or something. And they had a nice family visit. And granted, like his parents lived just a couple of hours away. Like it's not yeah. this huge trip. It was seriously just a day trip. No big deal. Around 8 p.m., Mark's parents finally left to go back home. Shortly after they leave, Mark finally calls Krista to check in. A whole 14 hours after he left the house. Oh. <laughs> knowing that his parents were coming for this visit. 
And I mean, I wrote in my notes, I said, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand not wanting to be around family, but like, how dare you abandon your wife like that? <laughs> I was going to say, man, I don't have anybody. <laughs> like I am single, but oh, you're going to leave me. And then literally, basically <laughs> over half a day later, be like, so how are you? How are the kids? Oh, Nate would kill I, me. I would kill him. Nate would kill me. <laughs> Nate. I would kill them. Like, yes. We're all agreed here then. Great. Uh, so shortly after he finally calls, and then he tells Krista that he's in Montgomery, Alabama. And remember, they are living in Huntsville, Alabama. Was- so if you aren't aware... Do you know about what the distance is? Because I thought it was going to be shorter than this. Huntsville to Montgomery is a couple hours. It's two and a half to three hours. Yeah. Between the two. So that drive alone from Huntsville to Montgomery and Montgomery back, that accounts for about five to six of the 14 hours, 14-ish hours that he was missing. It was also said that he drove to like Troy, which is another two hours south of Montgomery. Yeah. So like... You know, from what I can tell, he just drove around the state the whole day. I was and then, like, where were you just, you just I'm assuming, like I'm assuming he went to like a bar in Montgomery or something. And that's where he called Krista from. Because remember, yeah. he, doesn't he doesn't have, have, a have his phone. phone. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't have his phone. So she doesn't have any way of contacting him. Uh, he finally gets home around midnight. So his two and a half, three hour drive took him four hours to get home. <sighs> and everyone's asleep. Duh. It's midnight. Your oldest child is seven at this point. So he goes inside. He lays down in bed with Krista, who is pissed. I repeat, duh. She spent all day entertaining his parents and their kids without so much as a word as to where he was, if he was okay, what he was doing. And he didn't even remember to take a cell phone. So, like, that's another thing is that, you know, you're you're co-parenting, you're two-parenting, you're parenting together, and you ditched her with the kids. Like, the parents being there is a whole other layer of icing on that horrible piece of cake. But, like, the fact that you're supposed to be there doing that together and you just left without a word. It, it, it's frustrating. (laughs) You would not be in that bedroom, sir. Oh, yeah. You'd be locked out. Oh, yeah. I locked my husband out of the house for eating my macaroni and cheese. (laughs) It's true, though. It is so true. He ate my last portion of macaroni and cheese and I locked him out. So if you think that this man would be coming up into my bed. <laughs> no. No. He would be sleeping in his car or driving another two in, two hours turn four hour trip to his parents' house. Hey, mom and dad, sorry I missed you earlier today, but I'm here to hang out now. <laughs> right. Sorry, you better have a good buddy that will we'll let you in at that time of night. Something. So... Krista gets up and leaves their bedroom to go to the furthest end of the house away from all of the bedrooms so they don't disrupt the children while they're talking. So she left the room. She left the room. I would have made him leave the room. (laughs) Well, you've got to remember that she's constantly calling him his best friend, her best friend, and she wants to figure this stuff out and, like... As somebody who is in a marriage, the the quality time, like, is a hard thing to figure out. Like, for me and my husband, we're, we're either spending too much quality time together or not enough. Yeah. And so I totally get 
her perspective of trying to fix the issues, but I definitely think that they both should have slept on it. She should have kicked him out to the couch or something. They needed some time to calm down before they had this discussion, but alas, they persisted, which leads, leads us to here. So they go to the other end of the house so they can start discussing about the day when Mark pretty much just snaps. They're sitting on the couch in the family room and he goes for her throat and starts choking her. (laughs) When that didn't work, he put his elbow down on her throat with all of his body weight to strangle her. Krista was fighting for her life. Uh, There was evidence afterwards that she was clawing and, you know, trying everything to get her husband off of her. The man that she's supposed to trust more than anything through everything. And now she's fighting him for her life. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, Stone crushed her neck and killed her. He then left her on the couch and went to Zachary's bedroom. Their seven-year-old. He was asleep in his bed wearing a cute little dinosaur pajama set. Aww. When his dad walked over and started smothering his face and choking Ugh. him around his neck. I don't understand parents that can kill their own children. Oh, we are really not going to understand in a little bit because it, I I don't understand it, but I'll, it, let me just continue before I ruin my story. So he's smothering him, trying to choke him, and Zachary starts convulsing. So Mark leaves the bedroom and goes to the bathroom to fill the tub with water. He returns to the bedroom where his son is still actively convulsing, picks him up, takes him to the tub, and while the water is still running, Mark returns to Zach's bedroom. While the water is still running, he brings him into the bathroom and plunges Zach into the water and holds him under until he died. Mark then left Zachary in the tub while he went to deal with Krista's body. He moved her from the family room to their bedroom and put her in bed. Then he got Zach out of the tub, wrapped his body up, and laid him next to his mother, and then covered them up with the covers. Are you a two-year-old? Like, do you think if you do, if they can't see it, nothing happened? Well, you know, like, from Forensic Files and Law and & Order and all that kind of stuff, you know that whenever a body is covered up, that it's usually somebody that knew them that did the crime because they feel guilty about it afterwards. And so I actually do have it as a little side note that the act of him covering up the body is what made the prosecutor pursue this as a capital murder case. And I did look up what is capital murder and what's the difference and all that. So I'll go ahead and skip forward to that real quick. Capital murder is any first degree murder that can be punished by the death penalty. And first degree murder just has to be proven that it was intentional and premeditated. So the covering up and shows that he felt somewhat guilty. And that was what made the prosecutors turn this into a capital murder case so the next morning sunday morning when the girls woke up he took them to his parents house in leeds alabama which was about two hours away from huntsville once he got into town he made a quick stop at walmart and he ran into an investigator with the local police police department lieutenant wilbur griffin wilbur such a southern name wilbur (laughs) mark asked him where the police department was and then he dropped his daughters off with his parents, and then he proceeded to walk into the Leeds Police Department and lay everything out on the table. Wilbur Griffin gets called into the station at the time, 
And he walks in to see Mark Stone, who he just saw at Walmart. Could you imagine going to Walmart for some groceries and that you get called to go to, like, work? And the person that you just talked to is there. I'd be like, what in the world? Yeah. So he walks in and that's pretty much what happens. He's like, hey, man, what's up? Just saw you. How How is everything? And Stone goes, I, I need to turn myself in. And Griffin's like, over a traffic incident? Like, what's going on here? What's the story? What's your case? So that is when Stone proceeded to tell them that he killed his wife and son back in Huntsville. He gave them his home address and they called the Huntsville Police Department, who went straight to the house. So on February 24th, 2013, Huntsville Police found the bodies inside the family's home in the back bedroom laying next to each other covered up. Mark was arrested in Leeds and charged with capital murder for the killing of two or more people and capital murder in the death of someone under the age of 14. I just, what I don't understand is... You were saying that you couldn't understand how somebody could kill their kid. And for me, like, I don't understand why Zachary, like, why did he leave the other two girls unharmed? And I mean, don't get me wrong, like, super thankful. Yeah, glad why he did, did. But, like... Why did you even go for Zachary? Right? Uh, and there are some psych- psych- psychiatrists, psychological arguments that could be made for this that, like... Maybe he saw himself in Zachary and he was killing himself through yeah. that act. But, like, I just... I don't understand. Those two girls... Like, basically, how do you pick and choose... Yes. ...who you're going to? Yes. Yes. Let alone, like, it's your child and your wife who, like, you're supposed to love unconditionally and that. <laughs> and you leave the two girls. Yeah. I don't get it. So now we move on to the trial. Um, I also do want to mention that he was held without bail. So, yay, nay, whatever you feel about that. But he was held without bail. Um, The defense attorneys claimed that Mark suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. They had the trial postponed several times over the course of several years uh, to have his sanity and ability to stand trial tested. When all of that didn't go as planned. They pleaded not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. So at this point, that means that the defense has to prove that Mark was suffering from a severe mental illness at the time of the murders to the point of no return, that he was not aware enough to stop himself. He didn't know the difference between right and wrong in the moment, that he couldn't understand the consequences of his actions. And to all of that, I say it's a crock of bullshit. Right? You... (laughs) He took the time to cover up their body. Like, he could have stopped in the heat of the moment with Krista. But like we said, he continued on to Zachary. Like, it was all a crock of crap. He could have easily had gone to somewhere, like, a hotel to stay the night. Gone to his parents' house. He might not have been in complete control. But he was in in enough control, in my opinion. Right. You let, like, yes, we've all had moments. We let your emotions kind of take control and everything, but... I ain't murdered anybody yet. Yeah. (laughs) I have never resulted to murdering anybody. It's somewhat important to note here that 33-year-old Mark had no history of mental illness. And I say somewhat because, let me be clear, that does not mean that he did not and does not suffer from from a mental illness of sorts. But it does mean that there is zero proof to back this claim up from his defense attorneys. 
as somebody that's very interested in psychology, I can tell you that some things do pop up later in life, especially schizophrenia. So it yeah. it is possible, but really the only people that are backing this claim up are the experts that the defense hires. So yeah. you you draw your own conclusions there. The prosecutors don't shy away from Mark being in a bad place. Like I said earlier in my opening statements, <laughs> I brought up Gan's opening statements. He addresses Mark's emotional state consistently. He also said that Stone said something broke inside of him after... No, sorry. Stone said something broke inside of him, and after doing the killings, he felt free. He murdered Krista and Zachary and knew exactly what he was doing while he was doing it. Uh... That kind of goes against you trying to say that you were insane and... And that the killings healed you. Yeah. Which also, once again, that does also... It it does kind of sound like schizophrenia, so I understand why they would choose that as yeah. their defense argument. Because you would have the voice in your head telling you, now you're free. Yeah. Gan points to how calm Mark was post the killings when he moved them both to the bed next to each other and covered them up. When he drove the daughters to the parents hometown when he walked into walmart he saw the walmart you're just like hey where's the police station yeah uh larry marcilli marcilli mark's defense attorney in his opening statement he reverberated everything gan said he owned up to the majority of what it what he said and then he goes on to claim this case is not about his wife this case is not about his seven-year-old son if that's what this case was about we would not be having a trial this is about what was going on in his mind at the time and in his mind at the time that this happened. That's the part of the case that we're here to dispute. And that's what we're asking you to focus on. So he's asking the jury to not consider that this man murdered his wife. And I was son. gonna say, you, you basically are saying don't have a soul. Forget that you know, an, an innocent woman and a seven year old child are dead. Was he sane? <laughs> no. That's the important thing here. Huh. Um, <laughs> and like I said, the defense attorney had three different doctors that evaluated Mark, and they all concluded that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. But they are the only three professionals to back that claim up. So, uh, when Wilbur Griffin's called to the stand, the Walmart investigator, he was... He would testify that everything seemed normal at Walmart. The two daughters were dressed in their Sunday best. It was Sunday morning, so that makes sense. Mark was casually dressed. Once again, it's the South. I don't know about you, but my daddy would wear jean shorts and a freaking t-shirt to sun Sunday church every week. Every week. Yeah. So, that sounds Southern to me. Nothing seems wrong there. At the police station, Mark remained calm. He never appeared agitated or hostile. Sergeant Glenn Eaves of the Huntsville Police Department would testify after Wilbur. He was the supervisor on duty to handle the call from the Leeds Police Department to check the house out. He testified that they went to the house where no one answered the door. They forced their way into the back of the house and headed towards the bedroom where they were told that where they were told they would find the bodies. And the door was locked. The bedroom door was also locked. I can barely remember to lock the door in my right state of mind, but you want me to believe that he could remember to lock the bedroom door, the back door, the front door. Right, like... When he's having I'm a mental those, breakdown. I'm one of those people that I'm leaving for work, and I'll be like... Did I? Did I I'll be walking to my car going, as I've already been in the house, going like a mental checklist, so I have everything I need, and then 
Maybe I remember a locked door. I usually do, but like I always check it. And then I'm walking to my car and I go, wait, do I have everything? Even though I just ran through my mental checklist in the house. I can't tell you how many times I live in the second floor. I'll get down to my car, get everything cranked up, put it in reverse, start backing up. Did I lock the door? <laughs> and I'll go back. I don't even want to admit to the amount of times that I've made it to the red light down the street and had to turn around and come back <laughs> because I really thought that I did not lock the door. <sighs> so you want me to believe that this man is having a you breakdown. You lock your bedroom door. But he remembered to lock all the doors. And I mean, granted, the back door was probably locked by Krista before she went to sleep and all that stuff. But like, he locked the bedroom door. Who did he think was coming out of it? Right? It Make it make sense. Anyways, back to Eve's testimony. He went into details about finding Krista and Zachary together in bed, covered up with candles around them as well. What, were you trying to make a romantic setting or like... In my head, I was thinking more like of a like memorial a memorial yes. or something. Like what? Like what were you trying to do? That's kind of what I was thinking. So thankfully, he was convicted as guilty. Uh, thankfully, yeah. <laughs> and like I said, this was a capital murder case, so um, he actually was sentenced to life without parole. Three of the twelve jurors voted against the death penalty, and in the state of Alabama, ten jurors must vote in order for the sentence to be carried out. Or it carried up to the judge for approval. The judge could have overturned the jury's decision and still enacted the death penalty, but she agreed with the jury. And Mark was even quoted as saying that he preferred to have the death penalty in this case so that way his family could continue living on in peace. So, in that sense, I feel like life in prison was a worse sentence for him. I was gonna say, and that's why anybody I say this that is wants the death penalty, you can argue area. it. You can argue it any way you want, but that sounds like you're trying to get like. A quick way out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to, to wrap this up a little bit, I want to talk about a little of what I do know about the daughters. They were taken in by extended family at the time. Um, from what I could tell, they kind of went back and forth between the grandparents for a bit of time. And here is my favorite fact from today's case. Oh, boy. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Hey! <laughs> Offered to provide money for care for the children while the family made decisions where they could stay. See, this is why I love this man. Put in the work. Put in the work. <laughs> I, we love the rock. Not Terramana. only does he make a Terramana. great tequila. If you're mixing that with anything, you are wrong for that. That wrong. is great Sip on it its own. And shoot it. Yes. But back to the girls, because that's what we're here for. <laughs> we Sorry, can, you mentioned The Rock. We I can get do, excited, okay? We can do a whole episode on The Rock at some point. Or, uh, Dwayne, if you're listening. if you Sponsor are, us. <laughs> if you are ever listening, we would love to have you on the show. That's Please. you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, just send some tequila our way. So... Uh, they ultimately ended up with Mark's parents in Leeds. I couldn't really find why they didn't end up with Krista's family. I can only assume maybe like health reasons or, but I mean, they still get to see all of their family. No big deal there. I just, it, it was kind of, usually you get put with the maternal I family. Say, I mean, yeah. Just depending on maybe but they also had it's a, just i feel like maybe it could have also maybe just been living situations at that point yeah 
I, I couldn't really find a whole lot of that information. They've really tried to there keep There are the, many factors that could have gone into it. They've really tried to keep the girls' lives as, like, private as possible. And I'm I respect glad. that. So, um, just off the top of my head, I think that they would be, like, 8 to 10 years old right now. So, like, wait, they're yeah, growing this up. This was back in... 2013. Yeah, so not too many years. Yeah. But I just, I hope that they're living good, happy lives and that this does not affect them all that much. But I also guess my concern one... of staying with the dad's parents is like, are they visiting the dad in jail? I don't... It's a possibility, but also... Just something that randomly yeah. out of my head. I also, like... Yes, I'm sure this is going to lead to, like, maybe some therapy down the road, but... I guess the one thing you could probably be thankful for is the fact, yes, they're young. It doesn't sound like they ever saw Mm -mm. what the father had done to, like, their mom and brother. Honestly, if the whole family changed their names, the daughters would never have to know. Yeah. So, like, there is that. So, that is, hopefully, it's something that they can deal with and it doesn't affect them too much. So that's my case. That's like the original social media, southern, everything that I could find intriguing about a case. <laughs> I just feel like the cases for this week for it being freaking, what, Christmas week hey. were just heavy. Hey. I, did the, I did the fun case with the fruitcake fraud a few weeks ago. Well, so. I know. Maybe we should have saved that one for this week. Maybe so. Maybe we should have told a story about the Grinch or the Rudolph or something. So I do apologize for being Debbie Downers on Christmas, around Christmas, but this is a true crime. I would say it's true crime. No matter which way you spend it, whether we have fun with the case or not, it's still, it's, it's somebody died or is missing. So, I mean, it's just a chance for us all to kind of like learn and raise our awareness and spread awareness whenever we're talking about missing people. So once again, we do thank you for being here with us. All right. So here we are for another last call. <laughs> no, this case was, it wasn't as heavy as the Neely case, but it's still. A, I don't know. They're pretty neck I was like, I'm sorry, still guys. kind of heavy case. But I mean, we're a true crime podcast. It's not like any of this is lighthearted. Right. So to kind of <laughs> give us a little laugh and whatnot lighten the mood a little (laughs) i have come up with a last call that is kind of some weird laws for ohio and alabama i know alabama (laughs) my two yeah my two states that i call home depending on the day sometimes i just (laughs) claim ohio and sometimes i just claim alabama it depends (laughs) so my first little weird law is in Ohio, it is illegal to get your fish drunk. Um, <laughs> I have never tried to get my fish drunk, yeah, per se. Yeah, however, when I was in college, I had oh, this, this don't judge me, please. I had roommates, it was a whole theme, but we had two fish named Kanye and Jay Z, and they lived in the throne <laughs> because it's when the CD came out. And we had a lot of college parties at our house. And somebody one night decided to fill the fish tank up with beer. Oh, no. 
See, they'd be arrested in in Ohio. I wish they were arrested for killing <laughs> Kanye and Jay Z, oh. but we still don't know who did it. Uh, and that was the end of the throne. Oh no! Well, You're welcome. <laughs> well, along with that weird law in Ohio, you also can't fish for whales on Sunday. So you know, in all the the lovely fishing spots in Ohio, that whales exist. I was about to ask. <laughs> You where can't we, fish for a whale. Where, where, would you, where would you find whales in Ohio? I imagine at one point maybe they're in Lake Erie because there. If you go through all the lakes and that, there is like a Channels place. Yeah. And stuff. Oh man. But yeah, um, you also can't sell animals for sex. So thanks, Ohio, for making me so proud with those few. I would not think that that would be a law that would <laughs> have to be written. You would think, but I mean, here we are. Back, back, you know, when it, laws were first started being made, is. I mean, you gotta figure what we take people as common their, sense. People have their fetishes. Yeah. What we take as common sense, some of these times, like, people were just doing this and they was like, oh, wait, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. I can't. Yeah. So moving on to Alabama, I want to let you know, Sloan, it is illegal to wrestle a bear. Oh, <laughs> I, I do that all the time. So, My dog is a bear. We call him Bear. So it's illegal for you to wrestle Fitzgerald. Nobody call the cops on me. <laughs> um, in Mobile, it's illegal to spit orange peels onto the sidewalk. Good to know. I've never been in that situation, but good to know. It's also illegal to spray silly string. (laughs) In Mobile or Alabama? Uh, They said Mobile, but I mean, I'm sure it probably expands to Alabama too. Damn. I had some big New Year's plans. (laughs) Um, Is also, I've heard this one before and I still laugh every time. It's illegal to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Uh, I would not think of doing that to begin with. It's apparently illegal to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket because back in, like, the old days when people, like, rode horses places, you would put an ice cream cone in your back pocket and the horse would follow you. So it was a way to steal horses. Oh, so it makes sense, but like when you just word it as it's illegal to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket. I still don't think I would have ever thought to do that. Nope. But yeah, those though there are there are many weird laws, and I'm sure I could probably <laughs> do oh, them we'll, for all states. We'll definitely circle back to this, I'm sure, because but, there are a lot more weird Alabama laws. But those are my I know that there's like ones. And I'm from Mississippi, and I know that there's, like, this weird law that you can't park your carriages on the side of the street on Sundays or something. <laughs> I'm sure. So, you cannot take a parking for the Lord, okay? <laughs> so we will definitely come back to some weird laws in the South in the future, for sure. But that was a great little cleanser from the for Stone episode. The heavy episodes that we've been doing. Um if you're liking what you hear, be sure to leave us a review, like, subscribe, 
you know, whatever you can do on whatever platform you're listening to us on. We are on all socials as well. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tequila She Wrote across the board. Email is tequila she wrote at gmail.com if you have any requests or requests for cases, requests for drinks, cocktail recipes, um, anything of the sort. We're open to all requests. We appreciate you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, today, whenever you're listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.